I'm Ryan Lichten. Hey, I'm Parks Miller. This is Culture Dumps, and today we are discussing a fairly beefy topic. We've been talking about it since Podcast 99. Today we are discussing the infamous Disco Demolition. Disco Demolition. Yeah, this is a big one. It's a big one, and there's yeah. a lot of implications going on here, like socially. There's music stuff happening here. There's riots. There's, it's, it's the whole shebang, really. And there's baseball. And there's baseball, yes. Yeah, America's pastime. There's a lot of stuff uh, in this episode that kind of relates to all the different American pastimes, for better or worse. So this this event, like, my until we kind of dove into it, uh, my, you know, knowledge of it was, like, on, like, some sort of, like, rock, shocking moment in rock history countdown. VH1, 100 most shocking moments in rock and roll history, the greatest countdown show ever. But, you know, those uh, just kind of go through it really quickly. And there's just not a ton of information, like, at least in that sense. But, right. but you know, Ryan, you did like a pretty big research haul on this. And there's like a lot. Well, going it's fun. On. I mean, I love disco. And that is the kind of center point of this whole thing. I love the 1970s. It's my favorite decade for just so many reasons. I mean, A, all the music that was coming out at the time, all the social stuff, like the pop culture trends and television and then there's also you know a lot of true crime things that were going on it's it's really a packed decade and so i was very stoked to get into this but espn has covered this too and you know the the 40th anniversary came up um you know i believe it was last Last year year, and they tried to do a whole celebration and they got met with a lot of uh, backlash but we haven't even really told you what it was The disco demolition happened July 12th, 1979 at Comiskey Park in Chicago, Illinois. Comiskey. I'm going to fuck that up this entire episode. It's okay, though. It's, you know, it's it's a baseball uh, episode. So, you know, we we, we got our beers here. You know, we're not overindulging. This isn't the 10 cent beer night episode. This is disco demolition. So it was hosted by shock jock Steve Dahl and was created by Dahl, Gary Meir and Mike Veek, who was the son of Chicago White Sox owner Bill Veek. Fans were given discount tickets to the Twine Night doubleheader baseball game between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers if they brought a disco record that was to be blown up during halftime. After the explosion, the rowdy fans stormed the field and a riot broke out. The event is now remembered as an example of racist and homophobic outrage against a genre of music that was the creation of the oppressed. So yes, there was... A baseball game where in the middle of the two games that were happening that night, it was a doubleheader, you know, d- double double game night. They were going to have this giant crate of disco records brought out into the field and blow them up. And yeah. this was, and Steve Dahl was a very kind of, uh, uh, what, 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 what's the word for it? I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm looking for here. Like, kind like of a shock a, jock? Yeah, like a shock jock, but... Uh, like a transgressive kind of character, you know what I mean? He pushed a lot of people's buttons and and was really intense. You know, the classic radio shock jock right. kind of stuff, you know? And, and like also still when in the 70s, rock and roll kind of had like more claims to like a truly sort of rebellious culture. Like now right. in 2020, you know, we've kind of, there's been many sort of like death of rock kind of think piece or whatever um because it's like it's no longer really the the music that's like pushing youth in right. a way or rebellion right well and you have this rise like you know in the last 10 15 years of like EDM and it's kind of like this disco thing where people you know like music purists are like that's just a guy up there with a computer and that's right. what it was with right. disco because it was the the DJ was more important than the music being played really you know most of the time at disco yeah. clubs you never went and saw a live disco act and if you did it was usually just the singer with like a backing track much mm-hmm. like pop music would be nowadays Right, but which is also funny though, because at the same time, if you look at like certain like disco videos, also like live, like they can be with like 
you know, twelve-piece bands like horns, strings, and right. I mean, they're huge. So, I mean, they're yeah, they're orchestrated, and the music is is really big, and it was played by real musicians, you know, which is a, a nice characteristic of disco as opposed to you know modern-day dance music, which is produced by one person, you know, for the most part. But yeah, I mean, but the musicians, you know, again, that was all separate because disco was all about the consumer and not about the artist. Whereas rock and roll, it was kind of the opposite. So what is disco though? And where does it come from? The disco movement, as it is known, took place between 1970 and 1980. It reached its absolute peak of popularity between 1978 and 1979 and quickly fizzled out at the beginning of the 1980s. Disco is a genre of music characterized by 4-4 dance beats, a heavy emphasis on rhythmic bass lines, string section or synthesizer accompaniment, and its overall danceability. Generally, disco songs included meaningless lyrics or lyrics that were meant to play second fiddle to the backing music. You know, it's, let's boogie tonight. It's, we're going to boogie. Yeah, it's, it's party. It's, it's party usually music. just like party, like upbeat stuff. Right, and um, the word disco itself comes from the word discotheque, which is an old word for a room and a house or a business where you know records and phonographs would be stored yeah. or a place you would go to hear recorded music, yeah. and that becomes a, going to the disco. But disco is also, like, I think we're both, yeah, we both are fans of disco, and, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff there. It's, a, it's an amazing... Oh, it's fantastic. Know, it's, but I do think that, like, also just kind of remembering this as, like, what teenager or whatever, like, the the rock, the shocking rock countdown, like, kind of thinking, like, as a teenager who is into rock, kind of like, oh, yeah, disco does suck because you're you're thinking, like, you know, rock and roll. That's the where Detroit Rock City kind right. of mentality. So, yeah. so there is this, like, really angsty undertone to, like, disco sucks, you know? Right. And, and that goes, again, like, you could relate it nowadays to the you know the rise of EDM and and dance music and all that stuff. So disco flourished in the nightclub scene and soon audiences would identify with the DJ rather than the artist being played. The art of mixing became appreciated in a way that it never had been. While rock concerts focused the audience's attention on the band playing by keeping the crowd lights dim and the stage illuminated, disco did the opposite, illuminating the dance floor and keeping the stage dim. And it's because with disco and the whole 70s kind of pop culture movement, it's all about me. You know, everyone wants to be a star. Studio 54, the biggest disco in history, was called, was built in an old television studio, and they kept that kind of vibe because, in the owner's words, everybody wants to be a star. So when you go to a disco, you know, you dress up to the nines, you want to look the best. It's kind of a competition, you know, and, yeah, and you go there to dancing. show off. Yeah, yeah like and it's a dance, dance club. Yeah. Exactly. So the cultural history of disco is just as important as the music. There are three main components of the disco movement. The gay communities of New York and San Francisco who are responsible for the clubs and party atmosphere as well as the aesthetic of the disco lifestyle. The Latino communities of New York, mainly Puerto Ricans and Cubans, who are responsible for the dance style that became popular during this time. And of course, the black communities of virtually every major city in the country who are responsible for the music of the movement. In New York, during the early 1970s, there was an elite group of DJs who were throwing members-only private parties where they would experiment with mixing records to keep parties going all night and to control the energy of the crowd. Most notably among these trailblazers was David Manasuko, who founded The Loft and later The Gallery and Paradise Garage, all legendary New York nightclubs. The music played initially was R&B coming from Motown Records in Detroit and also several artists from the Philadelphia soul scene. Later, synth-driven European artists such as, you know, like Kraftwerk and groups like that became kind of the fabric of the disco sound. Right. And it's all about, you know, in the words of uh, the famed disco artist Gloria Gaynor, she said that disco, what it did was it simplified R&B and funk and soul and they made it in a way, in her words, that white people could dance to now. Right. Because, you know, it's always been kind of four on the floor, but with complex rhythms and mm -hmm. beats, this is just boots, boots, right. boots. But like anyone can do it. But also that kind of is like a comment relating to when it got really popular. And we'll kind of talk about sort right. of when it kind of got like a large mainstream like right it was really cool yeah and, it was and, really cool it wasn't something to hate and even the people that were into mainstream rock enough to hate disco didn't even fucking know about it mm -hmm. until it was halfway over right until like you know big artists like kiss or the grateful dead were starting to do you know disco records. right and rod stewart yeah but there was another element too where uh, with those same dj parties where like at least one sort of strand of very early hip-hop is like 
yeah, everyone knows about, like the break beats and stuff. And right. Can, but par- sometimes it was just like MCs rapping over like a long disco instrumental. And I mean, really, the um, yeah, you, you know, listen to Sugar Hill game. Yeah, like, like Rapper's that. Delight really is just like a fifteen-minute disco song. Yeah, totally rapping over. Totally. Yeah, and then eventually they would slow them down, and then that, and then start sampling comes in, and that's the whole thing. Disco is is really really big. I mean, it was it was the seventies dance music, so you know it's it's unforgettable. While gay nightclubs were the first to bring disco to nightclubs, it was the Latin communities that brought some of the classic disco dance moves to the movement. Most notably, the Latin hustle, which would influence several other dances. By combining American rock and roll dances like the twist with traditional Latin dances, they created a new way to dance, which took the place of partnered or touch dancing. This is when you get that like classic disco dance move, like where you put your finger in the air and stuff, because again, it, disco is all about self it's all about me 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 so rather than you know part i mean when people were doing partner dancing but if you're dancing with a chick you know in a disco club most likely you're not touching each other you know and, it's, and everyone's showing off their moves individually and that and that's you know those moves are inspired by you know latin dances that they then took the twist and and you know kind of american bandstand dances where people would dance on their own mixed with these kind of cooler dances and you get disco dancing mm-hmm which is which is great stuff and again it's iconic like i mean you can think about dance crazes like nowadays you know on the internet there's always like a dance challenge but Mm -hmm. like nothing's ever going to be the hustle right you know what i mean ever again yeah this i mean this it's a classic example of something that started in the underground and when you look back on it historically you're like this is awesome and then has this big peak kind of the the jumping the shark moment of just becoming so oversaturated And so even, yeah, really, like, it barely lasted into the 80s at all. Um, right, but it did lay the groundwork for, a lot of, like, 80s new wave and the 80s dance music mm-hmm. that came out. But having, like, by that yeah, time, it, it, they are very grooves, different. You know, having the continuous grooves, uh, really long songs, that became a thing. But then it kind of went, like, more fully electronic and, yeah, like just having the synth thing as opposed to like strings and funky bass lines. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think that maybe like the village people and disco demolition, honestly, like a lot of these things kind of are where that really started to just change. And right. Well, it's when it starts, it becomes too disco. You know what I mean? It, It becomes too much, but the music itself really came into its own in 1972 when a new single imported from Africa was getting major play in all the disco clubs. It was called soul Makosa and was recorded by Manu Dimbongo. I might be mispronouncing that. The song featured familiar elements of the Philadelphia sound with Motown vibes as well and rhythm of funk, but it was stripped down to a simpler beat that was incredibly easy to dance to. This song became the blueprint of the true disco sound. So we're going to listen to a little bit of this song, Soul Makosa. And uh, it's, I mean, also this is, I mean, this song has been used to death. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson has taken stuff from it, yeah. rap, I mean, everyone. But this is where, this is the first song to be played in clubs. We're like, okay, this is where we're going now, direction-wise. And you can already tell it is simpler. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it, it's a it's a way simpler beat than some of like the crazy break beats that you'd be hearing and yeah. like some of the soul and R and B stuff. And funk especially was getting really psychedelic in in the seventies. Yeah. So it was moving mm-hmm. out of the dance clubs and kind of becoming its own kind of hippie tinged like drug thing. You know, in a way. I mean, it's still very danceable, but funk. You know, in Parliament was becoming this right. outrageous thing, yeah. whereas disco is like dumbing it down so the average Joe that doesn't really have any taste can get excited to go to the disco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like the funk in the seventies kind of got more c- not cerebral because it's always still dance music, but yeah, like you said, psychedelic with like kind of like the free your mind, your ass will follow right. kind of thing. And then now it's like the disco is just like your ass will follow. Just the second part, yeah. just like <laughs> yeah. move your ass. And then it's just like your ass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So because the communities that popularized disco were more accepting of other cultures than the mainstream, artists of all races, genders, and orientations were able to achieve some level of success. 
Many of the most popular clubs were designed by gay men, and oftentimes, especially in the beginning of disco, the DJ was gay as well. This feeds into the stereotype of the cultured gay man and led to a somewhat mainstream acceptance of the gay lifestyle as long as it was sequestered to showbiz or the arts. Disco clubs soon became places of diversity and mutual respect until the mainstream grabbed a hold of it. Now, a good example of this is the artist Sylvester. Sylvester did the song, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. We're going to listen to a clip of that really quick. He, this is like a over six foot tall drag queen, mm-hmm. you know, who is, I mean, people all over the country and the world are dancing to this, this guy's songs, you know, and eventually he became, you know, a, a bigger star, but I mean, never really broke into super pop stardom, but again, was able to live a fairly successful life just off of disco because disco was the only scene where a drag queen can be out as loud as they want. And I mean, talented, you know, no doubt. I mean, Sylvester mm-hmm. is one of my favorite right. singers of all time. Yeah. The stuff that he came out with in the 80s before he died is is just incredible. Mm. But And you mentioned, well, you mentioned drag too. And so that, in addition, you know, the distinction just between like having like gay culture being more out and like acceptable, but then that is still separate than like drag culture, right. which is starting to be a big thing. And I know you've got on your wall the... The Paris, the Paris is, is burning. burning laser disc. Yeah, yes, it's one of so my that, prized that is a a great documentary. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's kind of about the the ball. Um, yeah, the, the ballroom the, scene. It's like yeah. the show on FX that that came out recently, Pose. Right, uh, which is which is great, but also has its faults. But right. yeah, and Paris is burning is is this great thing because yeah, it's all about you know like the drag scene, and then eventually you know, and they, it really breaks down. It's the first documentary to really break down the difference between like a trans person, and drag queen, and mm-hmm. like, all that stuff, and then also Vogue dancing, and yeah. that comes out of disco clubs. Yeah. You know, and, and Sylvester is kind of like this icon of sorts. I mean, RuPaul cites Sylvester as being the reason why that they became RuPaul, you know. So but the, in disco world, you were able to be that way back then and become successful. Yeah. Oh, and another tie in for our Millie Vanilli, uh, Boney M. Oh, yeah. Boney M. Yeah. Know? From Frank Farin. Huge yeah. disco. I mean, people are dancing their asses off to a song about Rasputin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what the fuck? But uh, we learned all about that in Millie Vanilli, so we're not yeah. going to revisit Boney Right. M. But I guess that's funny also because the Rasputin thing, which is kind of a novelty. And then that is also another thing that is sort of leading up to the like the the breaking of the wave is like then there became like everything had to sort of become a disco song uh like the intro that we heard this like take me out to the ball game which i love that's kind of that's amazing and i don't actually have the artist name for that that's like i literally just searched disco take me out to the ball game and there was like a local special where it's like these guys are trying to bring a hot new energy to baseball and they're like working class guys like they got an umpire on base and the singer is a man yeah who looks like he's from a miller commercial yeah it's it's kind of like how there was like a dubstep remix of everything yeah there was disco versions of everything you're right like i guess another thing that uh i (laughs) would step versions of everything (laughs) um another big i would say breaking point is like there's that star wars disco Yep. Thing yeah. Oh, and like, then also a fifth of Beethoven. Yeah, that, that was, that was huge. Also, yeah. yeah so people were really to like, taking it and riding yeah. with it. It, mm-hmm. it. it was it was becoming a big thing. But you know, the seventies itself, aside from disco, a lot of things were changing. And in general, the 1970s became a very self-centered era where designer clothes, the newest appliances, sexual promiscuity, recreational drugs, and the desire for wealth seemed to take hold. Disco clubs were a perfect place to show off how well you were doing because the entire idea was to make the audience the center of attention. Furthermore, if you did not attend these clubs, you were not considered part of the in crowd. And I mean, that again, that really starts with like the artsy folks and like the cool people, you know, and, and kind of like the, the you know, oppressed, you know, corner of society and then uh, you know like all things the mainstream eventually takes hold of it and now it becomes cool for everyone mm-hmm. but there's this hierarchy where it's kind of like you know it's it's 
outsiders, you know, it's like the outsiders, the socials versus the greasers. You know, you have the rock crowd with the ripped jeans and disco sucks. And then you have the guys in the suits with the made up babes and, you know, they got the money and the cars. It's just yeah. like a difference in mentality that's happening. And it's really called the me era. Uh, for instance, Jerry Rubin, who was one of the leaders of the Chicago Seven, a huge, you know, hippie activist group. They did like all sorts of outrageous public theater and things like that. Uh, he ended up in the 70s, like just getting on like a health kick. And, you know, it's like that cliche of like, okay, 60s are over. Let's like start jogging and like workout gear and let's start investing. And he really mm -hmm. became like a big yuppie. Yeah. Jesus freaks and stuff. Yeah. And health, and health food stores kind of taking off. Yeah, and it's and but it's like not taking off just for hippies anymore. It's becoming like everyone's Lifestyle, thing. Yeah, and it's because all the young people that were hippies in the '60s are now a little older, and so they're living as adults with like still this want to party and do all the fun stuff they did during the sexual revolution and the LSD revolution and weed and all that stuff. But now they're older, mm -hmm. you know, and they're out of college. And also, the Vietnam War had ended, you know, in early in the early 1970s. I believe by 1971 so, it was it was over. Well, 75, 75. Okay, there was still like a large involvement not you know but, but you know there wasn't people in the streets like the 60s was it seemed like to a lot of young people at that time that it was now time to get a little more serious right, you know what i mean right. it's time to go back to work party's over but the party wasn't over because now instead of free love it's swingers parties <laughs> you know what i mean and like these people are starting to have kids and stuff like that so it's this whole kind of thing and and you know one of the things is that that i, I read in uh this book rocking in time which is one of my favorite resource books uh for for music history they were talking about how teens from the 60s wanted their own sense of belonging and kind of like their own cultural contribution and disco became that mm -hmm. you know it became well yeah. this is our thing you know these clubs yeah. these clothes these leisure shoots this like all like cocaine this yeah. is our thing weed was uh, was our parents like, weed was the 60s this we're this is the 70s now mm -hmm. like we don't smoke weed that's for dirty hippies we do nice white cocaine and right, wear right. nice suits and 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 it's like they really took it on as this is our time yeah but it's shitty <laughs> because as we know if you try and force something it doesn't happen. Right. And and so that's a perfect, again, where it's like starting organically, but then everyone jumps on the bandwagon and then you can start to see when you're like, this is disingenuous. This is not the same. It's thing very superficial as, as before. And then so another thing, though, just to kind of provide like sort of where I guess rock and roll is as, you know, again, now that there's everything is very complex since we're going to boil it down a little bit. But I would say just because we we're talking about the 60s, like the 60s was a very big moment for like rock and roll because you had so many bands that were kind of tapped into like a you thing. Had Woodstock. Like, you know, yeah, you had Woodstock, you know, you kind of like these protest rock songs that were really like big and kind of having a cultural impact. Um, and then by that point, there was sort of like this disillusionment. And even in the, you know, the early 70s, then you kind of had like the rock god era, like The Who and right. Zeppelin. But like those two bands Deep in particular, purple. like both of their drummers died in 1979 and there was also like the advent of prog rock which was kind of taking it away because it was like now these are like 20 minute long songs but they have like 15 was, minutes of flute solos it's incredibly like, self-indulgent much yeah. like disco it, right, it is but, reflecting but one yeah. is like a 20 minute long like dance banger and then one is like this 20 minute long like lord Think of the rings piece. yeah yeah thing so and then you also had punk which while some people could get into it, there was like this divide even amongst rock fans of like, this isn't like, I don't like this. This is shitty. Like this shitty stuff. Yeah, this is like, and punk, they don't know how to play because at right. this point, rock sort of really started getting like a pedigree pretension of like the musicianship to it. And it was starting to be this thing where like the idea of rock was like becoming a bit of like a sacred cow. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, we need know? to protect it. We need to keep the integrity of rock. Right, and then and that, so you have disco coming, is, which is in their eyes in complete opposition right. because it's so not about how talented the musicians are. It's yeah. about how good you have it and how much fun you can have. Right. Which but there's nothing wrong. Like, it's still, so funny that people get so talented. mad about yeah. that. You know, right. like I, I can remember. Uh, like during the big first, like like that that first big wave of EDM in the early 2000s, like I was so against it because I was like in a band and I was like, dude, this guy's on stage with laptop. This is fucking mm -hmm. whack. Right. And then I went and I saw Sebastian from Ed Banger Records, a French DJ. He makes really gnarly stuff. Mm -hmm. And I saw him perform. I, I was at like a Coachella or something yeah. uh, back when it was sick. But uh, I like was fucking moved 
And I was like, dude, like this is fucking tight. And yeah. I was so wrong mm-hmm. for like knocking this. And right, like, right. I'm sure any of these people would be bored as shit watching like yeah. a band. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and that's the thing is like, then there was like, so I we mentioned you know Kiss, Grateful Dead, uh, the Rolling Stones. Like that was kind of like a huge '60s band, but you know they did some girls and like Miss You is essentially kind of like a disco song, one of their biggest songs, one of their best songs. So there was definitely this sort of mentality also if like going disco was almost like selling out. Yeah, and so exactly. I've, I've been listening to a ton of like Grateful Dead stuff because it's just like a fascinating like just banned with like a shit ton of history yeah and we'll, we'll probably fan, be talking about them fan, on the squirts coming there's up. definitely like some elements of the dead that could go into like a culture dumps thing but yeah basically like when they they did this song shakedown street and it has like a disco beat and that just like fucked with fans you know right. because like i mean is my favorite too. band yeah oh that's a big one because kiss, kiss was the, was the big but we'll, we'll get to that though uh because like yeah because we were going to do the rock side here in a second but as celebrities like Andy Warhol, Elizabeth Taylor, Michael Jackson, Warren Beatty, Mick Jagger, Farrah Fawcett, Woody Allen, David Bowie, and a slew of others began attending chic nightclubs, much like Studio 54, disco's popularity surged, but it truly exploded and outgrew its roots in December of 1977 when the film Saturday Night Fever was released. The film, starring a young John Travolta, follows the story of a troubled young man who finds solace on the dance floors of New York. The entire film was really just a vehicle to promote the Australian recording group, the Bee Gees. And after the release of the film, disco clubs were no longer a safe haven for those who were not accepted elsewhere. Disco had gone global. Yeah, I mean, Saturday Night Fever, huge that is, movie. That is disco. That is yeah. the quintessential thing. That's and, kind of the not the undump to the the dump of disco demolition. It's like, I think anyone, even if you were like 15, I would venture, like if you were like, a teenager now like there is probably some element of saturday night fever that you would recognize without if, even knowing much if, about if it if you never knew that that movie existed you have seen someone do the famous finger point dance, yeah you've seen you know, like in, in movies and heard TV shows, a song from the soundtrack you've staying seen alive travolta like in his outfits in it yeah people know. still want him to dance yeah 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 they still want him to dance i mean that was a part of like pulp fiction, pulp fiction. Was like, it was oh, a huge john deal Travolta's no that was like the big again. deal yeah john travolta dances again like who fucking cares but, like my dad was obsessed dude my dad fucking went to discos and like danced a lot and uh i also like i think it was a sears they had like a runway in the middle of the sears store and instead of mannequins they would have like young dudes from the like the neighborhood wear like the latest fall fashions and like oh, wow. strut out they'd be like, here's richard wearing the latest from fucking blah 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 and like he had that job and then like he would take the clothes home and like go to a disco and like he was nice. all good at dancing he actually met my mom uh walking a date to her car <laughs> after a disco party <laughs> wow well, yeah there you go. stud so also it's, it's worth noting though that the saturday night fever uh soundtrack for i think still to this day it is like the top selling movie soundtrack of all time it, it was a major smash hit and the Bee Gees are forever mm-hmm. like a huge group. Yeah. Multiple know? smash like big hits. Yeah. Where even I think one of their brothers like who wasn't even in the Bee Gees became really famous too on his own with like disco type stuff. And disco too is a kind of a funny thing because there would be like these washed up um, like TV stars or, or movie stars that would get their own like revamp shows or variety shows were really popular in the 70s and they would all have like disco stuff going on mm-hmm. or like the Brady's had like a variety show yeah. and it was all disco and like Sonny and Cher there was tons of disco stuff happening so even it, uh, Dewey Cox had a disco song Dewey Cox yeah. walk hard yeah one of the most underrated uh, comedy films of all time so disco soon took over the airwaves of American radio in many cases replacing the rock and roll formats of several stations much to the chagrin of rock fans everywhere Soon, some of the most beloved bands in rock and roll went so far as to release disco songs themselves, an act considered sacrilegious by hordes of fans. The biggest one, I mean, Rolling Stones, yes, but they were already so big. But they big, pulled it off. And they pulled it off, right. too. And they like their disco song doesn't sound so disco-y, yeah, whereas Kiss... Kiss I, just flips. That is... Fu- and it's honestly one of my... It's like one of the best Kiss songs. It's I know. so it's, fucking it's good. Catchy. I was made for loving yeah. you. But, like, I mean, Kiss uh, was also considered to be, like, the, like Detroit Rock City. I want to fucking like rock and that. roll. Yeah. You know, I want to party every day. Blah, blah, blah. And, like, 
I mean, the Kiss Army, and for mm-hmm. them to come out with a disco song, I mean, they even make fun of it in the movie Detroit Rock City, which is about four teens, you know, trying to make it to a Kiss concert. Yeah. At one point, they pick up a hitchhiker. If you guys haven't seen this movie, I don't even know how you found our show, but. <laughs> so, but I'm explaining it as if you haven't. So they pick up Natasha Leone, you know, who's, who, who's walking on the side of the highway after she ditches her disco boyfriends, and she says something along the lines of like, "I wouldn't be surprised if Kiss did a disco song. Disco's so huge." And they're like, "Oh yeah, right. What right. the fuck?" Yeah, yeah. But like the joke being that they, they fucking it. totally did. But yeah, that was like a huge thing, and really, that's when you start seeing this really anti-disco sentiment. This is when you start seeing fights happening in high schools, you know, between the two groups. This is when it's really becoming like there's a public voice of hate for disco happening, and it starts when some of the icons of rock start turning heel and releasing disco stuff. So by 1979, the rivalry between rock and roll and disco had reached a boiling point. It was no longer about the music. The anti-disco sentiment felt by a majority of rock fans began to boil over into societal issues like race and class. While disco became the soundtrack of the white-collar crowd who were interested in the latest and greatest trends the 1970s had to offer, rock and roll became the soundtrack to the working class and the anti-establishment, which it always had been, but it found a new breath of life. It like with disco being, you know, it, its new enemy. Yeah. You know, it's always mm-hmm. rock and roll's always been the working class, you know, soundtrack and the anti-establishment soundtrack. But when the establish like it just depends on what the establishment is at the time and in rock fans' heads, because it was Everything was at its absolute peak of popularity and success as far as rock being huge and just huge rock stars and rock gods and stuff. Disco really was the enemy. So instead of the establishment being like, fuck you, the man, it's like, fuck disco. But also there's this interesting thing where because rock really had become part of the establishment, too, because when you have bands that are this big now, again, like in the 60s, you had really popular bands and like. You know even who else went disco? Blondie. Sorry, to speak oh, yeah. about Yeah, Blondie they, from I the mean, punk scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Bowie pulled it off, you know, no one even better than I. Like, he just yeah, did, well, Bowie. You know. yeah. But, like, even though there were, like, you know, huge bands, like even, you know, the Beatles and stuff in the 60s, like, it might have been, like, starting this establishment of rock thing. But, like, again, it just, like, that's, that's when, like, Aerosmith started getting big. And, like, these bands sort of became these, like, behemoths, you know? Like, right. Van Halen. Well, it's like, the 60s, now they're touring it, with, like, trailers worth of gear. And they're, they have huge light, light shows. shows. Pink and, Floyd starting to do, right. like, their laser shit. Yeah, and actually, it's funny. Is uh, Another Brick in the Wall kind of has, like, a disco beat. Right, and we know? will revisit that song later in this episode for a, a very special reason. Um, but also, you know, in the 60s, though, with, with bands and rock stars, there was a message, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, ban- like all the Woodstock groups, you know, people banded behind that for the greater good. And the bands really kind of, especially like the dead who would play on the floor and stuff like that. Like it was, it was really like a communal thing. You know, whereas rock in the 70s became like, nope, like we're the rock stars, you yeah. buy our records. We're in the, the, the 60s, it was like, we're all in this together. Right. The, the whole me thing definitely started, you know, was a big rock thing too. You right. Know? So it's 1979. Enter Steve Dahl. Steve Dahl is an American shock jock who has had one of the most colorful careers in American radio. While he became known nationally after the disco demolition, he was extremely popular in the regions he worked in. Having worked for several radio stations in his career, it would be difficult and unnecessary to give you his complete history. However, it is entirely worth noting that in 1978, he worked for the Chicago radio station WDAI and hosted the oh-so-cleverly titled morning show Steve Dell's Rude Awakening Show, which is like, I feel like every Shock Jocks morning show is called the Rude Awakening Show. However... Before the year ended, he was fired and the station switched their format from rock and roll to, you guessed it, disco. So it's personal. It's personal. And no one seems to, I mean, in like the ESPN documentary, they mentioned that and, and some people bring it up. But overall, the, the anti, like the racial stuff and the anti-gay stuff like really takes hold. But I don't. I mean, and well, you know, you, you can make up your own minds by the end of this episode. I don't think Steve Dahl was, you know, racist or homophobic or anything like that. I think he just had a fucking vendetta against disco and he was a rock and roll DJ. So to him, like his livelihood was at stake. You know what I mean? And also he was like, he's like, uh, 
set like me, have a little, he's a little chunkier, uh, a little on the meatloaf or, uh, you know, <laughs> a little on the meatloaf side of things. And, you know, to have all these handsome guys getting all these, you know, beautiful women and having all these, like all this great time and stuff. It, it, it's, it all falls under the same umbrella. And I, we really feel like this is where the disco demolition is born. It's yeah. him getting fired. It's not necessarily disco existing. It's him getting fired. Rock is established and it's starting to internally have like we said with prog and punk like have its kind of crumbling or a, like a insecurity and so now it's threatened you right know? yeah so it's so it's starting to retaliate so doll began working for w wlup fm and released a parody of the rod stewart song do you think i'm sexy which he titled do you think i'm disco the song surprisingly got airplay on other stations and went to number 58 on the billboard hot 100 chart Throughout his career, Dahl released other parody songs, the most controversial of which was his John Wayne Gacy-themed version of Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, titled Another Kid in the Crawl. Now, <laughs> if if you're, you know, if you're a true crime buff like me, I don't need, you know, you already know everything about Gacy. If you don't, over 30 young boys were found in the crawl space of John Wayne Gacy's home in Chicago. He was famed for being a, a clown at neighborhood events and, and charity things and stuff like that. He also threw lavish parties. He was a well-respected member of his community. He owned a contracting business in Chicago and in the suburbs. And yes, he would bury these young boys that he would murder and, and rape and all these terrible things under the floorboards of his house. And so this is Steve Dahl's version of another brick in the wall titled another kid in the crawl about the John Wayne Gacy murders. It's too late for resuscitation. In a million years will Yeah, that I mean, you want to talk poor taste, uh, and I'm I'm kind of the king of that. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that that song's pretty rough. But the thing is, I mean, nowadays it's it, it you know, I mean, there's so many you know serial killer this and that and blah blah blah. But to do it in the town that it happened in at the time is really rough. And he did other stuff too. Like he did other parody songs. Like one was about you know like the war in Iraq and stuff like that. But for wait, his wait, for his it, Vietnam. What's up? No, 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 no. Afterwards. I mean, he still does shit like oh, that. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no. Steve Dahl's still around, folks. Uh, you know, stay, stay tuned on that. But the thing is, you can tell how much people hate disco because his disco parody song went to number fucking 58 on the charts, mm -hmm. which isn't, yeah. you know, it's not like it's a top 10, but to breach that far up, even to crack it with just like a off the, you know, offhand radio parody song is really crazy, but it speaks to to the hate of disco at the time. So back to the matter at hand, the demolition. During a particularly poor season for the Chicago White Sox and their stadium, Comiskey Park, Dahl, along with his partner, Gary Meir, and son of White Sox owner, Mike Veek, came up with, the, with an idea for an anti-disco promotion. If you brought a disco record to donate to the proclaimed end of disco, you could get a ticket to the Twilight doubleheader game for less than a dollar. The radio station's call numbers was like 98.4 or something, so they sold you a ticket for 98 cents if you brought a disco record. Now, what was happening, though, a and according to a lot of witnesses that were there and employees, people weren't just bringing their disco records. People were bringing all their records that were from like a black artist or like weren't rock. Like people saw like Curtis Mayfield records in there and, and shit like that. And like in the stands too, because not everyone would donate it. Some people would bring a stack of these things and they'd huck them out on the field, you know, <laughs> as, as the game went on. It's starting to get really, really rowdy there. And Steve Dahl the whole time is coming out intermittently and, and riling up the crowd a yeah. little bit. And we were watching some of that last night. Yeah, you can watch this entire game and broadcast on YouTube. The entire it's like three hours long, but you know where the good part is. And and I mean it's you know record burning, but when you're watching, you're like, oh, this is kind of like a book burning. Yeah, you know, like, and so that's where it kind of you just seeing the manifestation of it, you're suddenly like, all right, you know, we're trying to lay down the groundwork of why people would hate it. And on one hand, there's, you know, the oversaturation of the market. 
but then also there is this like this darker undercurrent we're saying we're like this could be like a surface right. homophobia racism or something well and comiskey and when, comiskey, comiskey god i knew i was gonna fuck that up all episode that doing park good. that park was in a pretty you know it, it was in a predominantly white working class neighborhood i mean there's pictures of people in in that neighborhood holding up like during disco disco demolition holding up like really bad signs you know yeah. that say words that we cannot say and it, will not say yeah it's but, like because when you're when you're watching it then you're like oh like this is like you're you're really you're really sticking to this this is really what it's all about and right so it just yeah. like it i don't know it was pretty unsettling in a in a weird way it's like well, people were using hating disco as a way to express their hate for other things. Yeah. You know, it's or like people. It, it's almost like uh, some things that were happening in the last couple of years uh, politically, you know, where people were giving support in order to guise, <laughs> you know, their true intentions, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we hate disco. But no, you hate disco because they celebrate and accept people of all races and orientations and most of the people that run the discos are gay and the people making the music are black and you know what I mean? It's like, so there's this undercurrent, but it's all under the guise of just hating the music because rock and roll is better. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's what's happening here, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Games that season averaged a crowd of about 15,000. They were expecting 20,000 to show up for the spectacle, but a surprising and concerning 50,000 people flooded the stadium with thousands more trying to sneak in. In an effort to keep great crashes out, security padlocked all but one entrance and exit gate. Bad idea right there. Remember yeah. that, folks. <laughs> Remember, all entrances and exits are now padlocked shut, minus, with the exception of one, and there's 50,000 people in the stadium. Just keep that in mind. Because two games were to be played that night, the disco demolition was to take place during the break. Dahl had dressed as a general leading an anti-disco army, an army which he dubbed the Insane Coho Lips. Prior to the demolition, Dahl drove laps around the field in a military jeep, leading the crowd in a Disco Sucks chant, which sounded like this. Disco Sucks! Disco Sucks! Disco Sucks! And we're never going to let them forget it! They're not going to show it down our throats! A large wooden crate was brought into the center of the field and was rigged with what the pyrotechnics team thought would be just enough explosives to destroy the crate full of records. But when the explosives were triggered, the blast created a large crater in the middle of the field, <laughs> rendering the field unplayable. Now, we're going to play a little clip here. This is going to be a, like, a little long-winded. We have a lot of clips that we want to play, and I'm not sure which ones are, are culture dumps worthy. But this is leading up to blowing up the 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 box and then the and then the explosion will happen. One, two, three, boom! Here they go! It's a massive explosion. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's obviously an accident. <laughs> I mean, and also it's like, there's supposed to be another game being played and that's fucking over now. So and already that's one reason to piss off the crowd. Right. And they're probably like this thing kind of, it kind of like drags on because you can, you can sort of get the feeling it's like not, it's like really the idea is like, we're going to blow up some disco records. And then he's kind of like rambling a bit and like. It, it like, becomes sure it, he gets a little drunk with power. Yeah, he, he, he no. gets a little he gets a little crazy. And then that's where it kind of goes back into this sort of like this me thing, where it's like, well, now it's my turn to like yeah have a moment. Again, keep in mind, Doll was fired by a station in order for that station to become a disco station. Right. So that's like the and so when he made his song, "Do You Think I'm Disco?" Uh, we didn't want to play a clip from the song because during the match, he tries to get them to play it. And then they don't have it. And then he tries to get the crowd to do like a backbeat for him. Yeah. Which doesn't happen. So he's just in this general's costume, sweating, screaming these lyrics, these right. anti-disco lyrics. And it comes off like a fucking madman. Like, yeah. like someone's manifesto. Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe we should play a, a clip. Okay. Well, we'll play a clip of the song. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to hear him screaming it in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah. I wear tight pants. I always stuff a sock in. It always makes 
The ladies start to talk and my shirt is open I never use the buttons, though I look hip I work for E.F. Hutton Do you think I'm disco? Cause I spend so much time blow-drying out my hair I wear tight pants, I always stuff a sock in It always makes the ladies start to talk in My shirt is open I never use the buttons, though I look hip, I work for E.F. Hutton, snot nose, do you think I'm disco, cause I spent so much time blow-drying out my hair, you like it, do you think I'm disco, cause I know the dance steps, learn them all in front of stand. So the song's like, I mean, it's a fully produced song, but without the music and like with like just the adrenaline flowing and, and the power of the coho lips, he's just going fucking ape shit. Because it, it kind of reminds me of like the famous the Bill O'Reilly uh, clip where he's like, fuck it, we'll do it live. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Like, and like uh, another thing that's just kind of disturbing is so he they blow up the records, the disco records, and then he gets the crowd to be like, all right, guys, do a disco beat. And you're like, what kind of like weird psychological. Yeah, well, he also says, this is the only time like, I'll give you permission. I mean, yeah. he that, he like, put on the general suit and like went full yeah, hog. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he went full tilt in that general suit. And again, like, you know, and I, I love like, He keeps screaming for his buddy who he calls Snot Nose. Right. Like, yeah, he's, he's just like, oh, Snot Nose here. But. Things start getting really fucking rowdy now. And there's Disco Sucks banners, but now people are starting to throw bottles and people are starting to throw firecrackers. And once they realize that the, there's no more game, the fucking Disco Sucks chants get fucking really crazy. It was at this point that fans began climbing onto the field after pelting the players and staff with firecrackers, bottles, and anything else they could throw. Fans flooded the dugouts, forcing the players to barricade themselves in their locker rooms. The uncontrollable mob began destroying the field in any way they could. Things worsened when fans who did not want to be part of the chaos tried to leave and discovered that all but one exit was locked. Whoops. So things are getting really hectic. It's getting scary for people. Also, there's this great thing in baseball where like, if a base gets stolen like literally like, i mean you can steal a base during the game but if something happens to the physical bases like yeah like the, you can listen to this guy uh when he watched the videos who's like the announcer and he's been like the announcer forever he's like he's like a fucking vin scully kind of guy like he's he's been around forever he's always announced the white Sox games and he's pleading with people please calm down so we can play some baseball right i love that shit too with baseball like it's so it's important like, like they right. don't do that with it's any the, other sports it's it's like hey calm down so we can play football it's right. baseball like you show some respect well that's what's funny is there's not actually any reason there's no correlation between hating disco and playing baseball it's just because doll was like homies with the son of the owner and they're like oh let's do this let's try to drum up support and right. i get it that like you might want to tie in something like yeah like you have performers like you know like after the game to try and get attendance up but now you're just kind of like what there's no reason that this is happening at a baseball field and, yeah. yeah and i love it because i love the idea of like the old like announcer just being like now the sanctity of baseball, baseball has is been being tarnished. Yeah, you know? exactly. And but there's this great thing where that happens with the bases. Like he's like like one of the other announcers who's like covering it for TV. He's like, oh well, they stole the bases. Looks like the game's over. Like they don't have right. extras. Like no, oh yeah. well, someone stole third base. What mm -hmm. are we supposed to do? And then like. I mean, dude, I wish we could do like a who's on first disco demolition version, right? <laughs> like about like smashing record. I don't know. But they also tore down the gates. Like, I mean, it's it, it was getting really, really fucking gnarly. And then, of course, people can't get out. So now there's panic. And Chicago police enter the stadium in riot gear in order to disperse the crowd. Of the estimated 7,000 that participated in the riot, 39 were arrested for disorderly conduct. And the White Sox lost the game due to a forfeit, obviously. Steve Dahl went on to have continued success in radio. So, I mean, this, like, it was so notorious, but it launched him. I mean, he, he did, he's done plenty of other stuff. And right. there was also other disco demolition events before this that he had done, but nothing happened like this. Right. You know, it, it was just like, oh, that's fun. Let's do one here. Mm -hmm. And just because of the neighborhood it was in, like, there was a lot of complaints from, like, the rock fans, like, that felt, you know, they, they couldn't afford to go to these disco clubs, you know? 
and the disco clubs would be in like black neighborhoods or or gay neighborhoods and things like that and so there's just all this like like hierarchy there's this elitism that's all just in the minds of the rock fans feeling like they're not good enough and that disco is like somehow stealing society away from them and it all boils down into the disco demolition and this is 1979 in july by 1980 disco is fucking over Right. So whether or not this helped to end disco or not, I don't think it necessarily did. But I think it's it's a small microcosm of just the general like because that feeling of anti disco shit that was all over the country. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think that it was kind of reaching this because of the oversaturation, which was kind of taking away from whatever like more earnest, pure intention that disco originally had. Like the oversaturation was going to lead to something anyway. I mean, again, like if you look at, I mean, Village People might be a culture dump because they were so big. One right. album with YMCA. Dude, and the next Cowboy album, follows me on Instagram. Next album. Cowboy Randy Jones. They Shout like out. don't, like they can't, like they're not big anymore. Well, and, have you heard their 80s um, stuff? Yeah, I've heard some of it. They, I they mean, have a song so, about a food fight. Food Fight is great. I love Food Fight. Yeah, that's, that's on the album song. Renaissance, folks. See, we know um, what we're talking about here. But I think also like another big thing was the Disco Sucks shirt. You know, yeah. like kind of, and it, and I mean, I guess it kind of usually you see it like sort of on like a baseball type of shirt, you know? Right, because it's and, so 70s. Well, and that's and why so that been, kind of yeah. did have a lasting, I feel like at least in through the 90s, like I remember even in the 90s, like seeing someone with like a disco sucks. Well, there was probably because there was probably teenagers that grew up, you know, in the 70s and then, you know, they just like held on to that shit as if it's fucking relevant. Right. It's like hating hippies. You know, we've t we talked so much shit on hippies like in podcast 99 and stuff. But I mean, they're, it's it, they're fine. But like it's such an old school stupid thing to be like fucking hippies. You know, it's like the same people that would say fuck hippies in the 60s are the same people that said fuck disco in the 70s. Yeah. Mhm. Mm you know, and it's and it's because I guess the people that really got <laughs> into disco or like all those hippies became, you know, and it's usually the hippies that were talking shit on disco. Like they just grew up. But anyways, what does it all mean? Disco's popularity began to fade at the beginning of the 1980s as new wave and electronic-based dance music came into favor. The progress made by the founders of disco had been forgotten, and nightclubs continued to be hubs of affluence and ego without the cultural diversity that made it such an integral part of the entire disco movement. So... You know, by the, by the 80s, dance clubs are huge. Excess is at an all-time high. The 80s are famous for that. They, it was born in the 70s. It's, it grew into a monster. And then you see that get rejected in the 90s with the rise of grunge and all that stuff. And even rock in the 80s had gone this very me, me-centric thing. Like, disco attitude and kind of the ma mainstream really took over in the 80s. Where, like, the Ramones are doing, you know, like, one of the seminal punk bands, they're doing shit on, like, MTV and, like, for movies, mm -hmm. you know? And, yeah. like, Blondie went disco and, and dance clubs are the biggest fucking thing and they're only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we have disco to thank for that. But the one thing it lacked is it's now all about the affluence. It's no longer this underground thing. In the 80s, instead, all the groups that were responsible for disco, they're now doing different stuff. Like, for instance the black communities in, in most of these major cities are creating the next giant wave of music, hip hop and rap. And then the gays are creating, you know, you, you have like drag really becoming like a, a, a serious art form. And then also Vogue dancing, like which, which started in the ballrooms. Yeah. yeah. Of, you know, New York and San Francisco, you know, th these kind of underground gay competitions yeah. that would then become the biggest dance craze of the 1980s with Madonna's song Vogue. Yeah. You know, so it, or I don't even know if that, did that come out in the eighties? I, I think it, it, it sounds. It, it was sounds either like the late eighties or, or early nineties. I mean, she was kind of like a step, you know, a, a close step behind, but a step behind in terms of picking up on that. Right. Yeah, but even hip hop, like, kind of, like now you might hear hip hop that kind of like re-embraces. Like I feel like the Beastie Boys kind of like being sort of a little more like nerds about hip hop and the culture. Like you'll hear them kind of have like disco stuff and like if you kind of want to like re-embrace the hip-hop roots of disco you will but as far as like the the wave of it going to like gangster rap like i mean in 10 years to go from like a disco influenced to genre like horror to movies like, to like gangster <laughs> audio rap. Horror yeah, movies, yeah everyone is trying to separate themselves from disco so it's that weird right. thing where it totally is like a flash in the pan but then and but it's again, an entire we, we decade have, we, worth have, of culture. we have the benefit of looking at it back now and just be like you know what the, like it was a great 
movement, a great scene that happened. Yeah, well, and again, I love disco, like Boogie Nights, fucking come on, Casino. You know, that's great shit, but there's, you know, a lot of bad there. And yeah, there's, you know, as as much as there was acceptance and liberation, and I mean, you know, you're talking, you know, 19, I believe it was 1969. I could be totally mistaken, maybe 1968. Don't want to sound too ignorant here. But, you know, definitely by 1970, Stonewall had happened. So there's this huge push in the 70s for gay liberation, which is, you know, plugging into, you know, we talked about this on the Little Fair episode, you know, the women in the, in the gay liberation had their women's festivals and the singer-songwriter kind of movement where gays had discos and nightclubs and they kind of created that shit and made it fabulous and made it cool and made it like this flashy thing that you wanted to be a part of. And it's all about me, 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 let's celebrate us. And then fucking, you know, and they're dancing to the music of people that they respected because they knew that they also struggled. And then it just gets totally stolen away from them. And now they're not even, you know, now they're being bullied in their own scene, you know, Mm -hmm. by fucking rich white folks that decide that this is now something that they're into. And that's a classic death of many genres of music and many of great social scenes. Yeah. So to disco artists, the disco demolition felt more like an attack on the people behind disco rather than an innocent jab at a new music fad. Legendary guitarist Niall Rogers was quoted saying, it felt to us like a Nazi book burning. Like you were saying, yeah, Parks. Yeah. And it's because, yeah, you're seeing all of your culture. like Because, you know, the arts always represent culture and people. You know what I mean? It's a, the arts, you know, for, for each generation, it's... It's their time capsule. It's what represents what was going on. So for them, it's like you're burning all of our hard work in history and like who we are, you know, and you're doing it on purpose to purposely disrespect us. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, it's more than just disco is basically what he was saying. And yeah, that, that's how they felt, you know, seeing those stacks of records just explode and people cheer. It's like, OK, like there's there's some hateful shit happening. Yeah. Here. I mean, people have hated on styles of music but it rarely has gotten to yeah it hasn't been like that exactly the attack on disco represented much more than two styles of music clashing it was an all-out battle between the ways of old and new tradition versus progression and i mean that kind of says it all as far as what, what what it was you know but even 40 years after the infamous disco demolition the white Sox decided to commemorate the event by having steve Dahl throw out the first pitch and the first 10,000 fans to enter the stadium received disco demolition shirts i would love one of those the celebration was you know it caused a media backlash most of which was based around the racist and homophobic undertones of the event right i mean well that's what's funny is like i feel like when it happened there was much less of say uh, there was no social media there was much less of like a public discourse oh, about okay, it like right. i'm sure people it that, was shocking if you saw it on tv right like you have the nile rogers quote at the time but i'm sure it was a lot more just like this thing's happening and it's gonna be cool but like it's funny because you imagine trying to do that now and it would it would not even get it would get shut down immediately because of the backlash so even just trying to have a 40th anniversary like thing commemoration right seems like people would suddenly be like hey like yeah well, well, we well, have some time yeah. to think because we this. know better now you know what i mean it's like you just don't do that and i mean there, like you could do tons i mean there's a long history of you know what though with like with as far as considering it like a book burning america has a long history of destroying music you know, like when the Beatles said that they were bigger than Jesus, right. they were steamrolling records. Mm-hmm. When uh, the singer of the Dixie Chicks denounced George Bush, they right. steamrolled their records. I mean, the, it, when, Ice, when Body Count came out with Cop Killer, they steamrolled their records. So there's like this history in America. Like we don't burn books here. We fucking burn music, right. <laughs> you know, and it's it's usually conservatives doing it to progressives. But this was kind of the opposite. This was this was two groups of people that should have just had mutual respect. But you know I think what I mean? that's the but, thing is like that. But rock was becoming conservative because once it becomes right. an established thing, the rebellion, it's hard to manufacture the rebellion or to have it be a, as earnest right. because the once, kids you're, in the once 60s, you're the fat cat yeah. on top, now you're like trying to, re, you know, maintain relevancy and so that that there's a whole thing about like the sort of I don't know well, political all the people that liked music. that liked like the '60s stuff by the end of the '70s they were grown up you know what I mean right. and a lot of them dropped the hippie shit and you know like yeah rock you know it became yeah it's like oh no like I I like rock it's, shit I mean it's so it's disco like became how, the young hot new thing because there's nothing sadder than like an old dude at a nightclub right. 
it's it's kind of like how you know punk like when it first starts it's like this youth movement and it's a rebellion thing and then once it kind of like becomes like an established thing and there's like these hallmarks and traits of punk then now you have like you have like really conservative punk people in terms of like they're like we have to like maintain the integrity of like what punk is like that's punk or that's not right and that's when it stops being cool the second you put rules on it it stops being cool and with disco that fucking happened with rocket happened and henceforth the disco demolition so i guess here the dump is hating the dump is hate the culture dump here is hate. It's not the fact that the disco demolition happened. The dump is hate. It's not fucking like, what would be the point of a bunch of rock fans getting together now and blowing up a bunch of fucking like, you know, uh, David Guetta, like Skrillex records and shit. Like it wouldn't, like it doesn't do anything. It's just Mm -hmm. a fucking very self-serving fucking like, it's like breaking. It's like, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. It's like punching a hole in the wall when you're mad. Yeah. It's like you're not doing anything except just making a fucking scene. But there's, and you there's know? always going to be that, you know, like, I mean, yeah. another, like mumble, the, like exactly hip hop, like, like the old heads. Of like, course. They went on a big kind of anti mumble rap thing. And so, yeah, you do. It's kind of like for me, I'm always pondering because I'm like, is this it's like whenever it's happening, you're like, is this just part of the cycle of history? Like the new comes in and the old is like scared and afraid of it and then you're like oh or, or is this is this the moment when like culture just really you know is <laughs> got is on shitty. a good one yeah, yeah 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 i mean who who knows but that is folks the culture dumps coverage of the disco demolition if you have a culture dump suggestion, folks, please email us at culturedumps at gmail.com. Please make sure you follow us on Instagram at culturedumps. And for exclusive content, including episodes, research materials, videos, sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash culturedumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. And I'm Parks Miller. This has been Culture Dumps. Fans are scattering off the field now when they fight the police. And many such security numbers are joining the police, which are now about 40 or 50, and they're slowly, now rapidly, walking out the center field where the fire is burning. The fans are now streaming off the field in great numbers, and I doubt if very few will be left to confront the police as they come in helmets and nightstick gear. Take me out to the crowd. Find me something.